friends, welcome to episode 208 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level, I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? Uh, we're in trouble. We're in a little bit of Just trouble. Just we have an engineering difficulty going on right now. I'm trying to get it solved. Uh, we, uh, so every, a, a, a long, long-term listeners of the show will know we always have a pot of tea. Uh, sitting here between us, and uh, there is a little, like, wire and wicker handle that attaches to the ceramic teapot that is, like, removed so that the teapot can be cleaned and the wicker doesn't get wet and warped and whatnot. Uh, We did not put it back on the teapot, so now we have this teapot that with no handle and we have no way of pouring our tea, so we're, like, busily texting Vicky upstairs to, like, can you bring us the handle real quick, please? We just got help, help. And we got a few minutes while it's Steve's anyways, so yeah, yeah. yeah. So hopefully, uh, a she sees the messages, and b we uh, we get the help that we we need. So if the show's a little bit out off tonight, <laughs> there's a clear reason why it will be. Either I'll be burning my hands shortly pouring tea, or we'll get the help that we need. So <laughs> we'll oh. get through this, Rob, together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we had an interesting weekend. We did have an interesting weekend. Yes. Uh, you finished up your. We figured out it was a sixteen-year campaign. Yeah. No, not consecutive. Not consecutive. We did have a a pretty decent hiatus in the middle of it. Um. But yeah, it was oh uh, six is when I have the first documented start of mm-hmm. it. Um. And uh, it was uh, I'm still I'm still kind of numb at like whether or how I feel about it. Okay. Um. I definitely feel relieved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That uh, that I feel mostly relieved that it went so well. That mm-hmm. moving over at the end to Blades in the Dark, just so that we could wrap things up in a nice, clean way, turned out fantastic. It was the right choice to make. Mm-hmm. Um, from a storyteller's perspective, I was able to let go and just let the story happen, and let the players kind of enjoy the moment of the ending, and that meant the world to me. Honestly, like I, I was so happy with the way that that turned out. Um, I think that um, the other aspect of it is, is that I'm still kind of, I haven't come to terms with any other parts of it of like that it's over. Yeah. Like the relationship is done. You know, the painting is complete. Um, Like that hasn't hit me. Mm-hmm. But I know it will at some point. Like I'm really busy with work, so that's sitting on my head pretty sure, heavily. Sure, sure, sure. You know, and obviously the show. So like the last couple of days have just been like a blur of work and like lack of sleep. Mm-hmm. But I think when I hit a pause point and I'm like, oh, I should probably work on my. Oh no, my game isn't happening. I don't have to schedule anything. I think oh. I'm going to hit those. Yeah, you know those kinds of moments. So I, I think that's where it's gonna where it's gonna affect me the most. So. Well, you can you can start uh, you know brainstorming for your next game. But I already you know, have. I'll dead honest though. I really think like I I, I personally think you need to take a break and just spend some time as a player. Uh, Sean's game, uh, his Nova Praxis game, the 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 space age transhumanist uh, game that we're playing is going to be scheduled is scheduled for the thirteenth of next month. Um, and we're, we're usually on a monthly schedule here. So, uh, yeah, he's in, he's, he, he remarked to me last night. He's like, Hey, all right, we got the game scheduled. Good. Now I can start having panic attacks every single day between now and then. And I'm like, Oh honey, no. Right. Right. You know? um, but that's, that's normal. That's what she, but yeah, no, I mean, like I, you know how long I've been storytelling and I mean, I have a, I have a whole damn show about storytelling that, yeah. you know, people for some reason listen to. Yeah. And, uh, you know, even I, driving over to your place on game day, I'll still remark to him, I'm like, ah, I'm nervous, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Stage fright. It's yeah. just, you know, Robert De Niro gets stage fright, you know? But I, I mean, I also think, like, especially talking, going back to our previous show about proactive and reactive gaming, there is a certain sense of flip mm-hmm. that I will say that a lot of storytellers have where you go through the, um, the aspect that there is a sense that you start the 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 gaming in a storytelling sense that is uh where you're you're building and you're showing off and it's your world and you're trying to start with with where all that sits mm-hmm. and so you're being very active in it and even at the beginning of of acts like if you restart or do something that can be very um can be very i guess daunting uh, but in the end, it also, like, if you can move to something that's more reactive to your player's needs, 
like I did at the end of my game, it makes it so much easier. And because you have so much less prep to do yeah. because they're doing the prep for you, essentially. Yeah. and But also you've invested in your own mind to peel yourself back to the point where you're just paying attention to the moving parts on your side. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you I always use this term because it really is vivid for me in my mind. And that is, you know, your NPCs vectors and velocity. Right. You know where they're heading. You know how fast they're going in that direction and what purpose they have. So you know what it would take to knock them off that course Mm -hmm. or what's not going to stop them. Yeah, sure. And really, once you have that established in a setting that's established where your players are literally adding to the setting while they're talking or reminding you, suddenly you roll yourself back. And you're like, okay, it's happening. It's it's not my story anymore. It's yeah. just what's going to happen. Yep. And that's the quicker you can get to that in mind frame, the faster, the better you will be as a storyteller to basically do the things that are cool. Mm-hmm. Because you'll have the time to invest in the voices, in the 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 little details between your char- the players, the characters, and your NPCs. Because I feel that there's there's a triad there that happens every time. Sure, so. sure. And I I felt getting to the end of my game, I was able to basically, I stared at the lines in um, Blades in the Dark about being a game master for it. Mm-hmm. You know. You know, let things happen. Fig- let them figure it out. Like, you know, you've put them in the world. Let it happen. Yeah. And let the story happen is something that is hard. That's hard to accept when you're when you build a world and you build plots and you build villains and you've got this, these vision. It pushes visions into your mind. It's hard to just sit back. Mm hmm. So I get it. I, and, and the anxiety is always real. Always real. Yeah, sure. So sure. Absolutely. But, uh, so yeah, that was my excitement this weekend. Yeah, right on. Um, yeah. I, I was a player in your game. Yes. Uh, I, I, I think it went very well. Yeah. Uh, I think, um, your, your choice to go your entire campaign playing D&D and then, you know, suddenly switch to Blades of the Dark for the last, for the very last game session was a bold choice, but I think it was the right choice. Mm-hmm. Um, D&D for several game sessions had been, uh, Something that really wasn't vibing with the group in general. No, um, no. All of us are very narrative players, and uh, D&D plays more like an elaborate board game, and it's not really something any of us were particularly interested in, mm-hmm. but we were all just playing the game that we were already in, you know? Right. Um, we were very interested in your story, so it was like, it was like okay, if you say we're doing your story in D&D, that's what we're doing, because we're here for the story, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think all of us, and, and we'd, we'd even had some discussions about it of like, you know, is this really fitting for our story? You said you didn't want to switch because it was, you just figured, you know, just, you were so close to the end, just marathon run it, you know, and, and, and finish it out in the home stretch. Um, but, uh, you also were smart enough to realize that the, the things that, we're going to take place in the ending. We're going to be these bold, dramatic moves. And if D&D were the rules we were using to adjudicate them, they would feel unsatisfying. They didn't have a great toolkit for doing the sort of stuff that you wanted to do. And you also felt like it would take, you know, four game sessions to do what we could, what we obviously did in one. Well, not only that, but I didn't want, like, <clears throat> somebody who just had a bad dice day to have a shitty end to the game. Yeah. Exactly. Like, you know, there's no real good mechanics in inherently in D&D for feeling heroic when bad things happen. Yeah. And and that's I I didn't want to have to like suddenly, you know, throw in some extra rules on top of D&D that would allow for odd heroics. Right. Un- right. Under under pressure. Yeah, if you if your dice suck in D&D, they just they just suck. Yeah. Sorry, buddy. Yeah, your yeah. your twentieth level paladin can still get murdered mm-hmm. by a couple bad dice rolls, mm-hmm. and that's just the way life goes. Yep, and that doesn't feel heroic at all. No, it doesn't. So, so, but, but yeah, it it came out really good. You were very focused on on, on the story, and I think that's what all of us, like I said, were there for. Mm-hmm. Um, the rules were simple enough that I think it, all it took was was a couple of die rolls to kind of say like, oh, that, okay, that's how that mechanic works, and all of us were on board with it. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think it turned out great. I, I felt the story had a very good resolution to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt good about where my character was at the end of it. Yep. Um, my favorite part was that where, where you were describing, um, like, 
he said like a hundred years or something like that, you know, after mm-hmm. my character retired or something like that, there was a big war that took over the area and mm-hmm. both armies as they were kind of going through the area, like left a bubble around my village because there was just a reputation that like, if you transgress this village, yep. <laughs> you will never unthaw. Yep. Um, and actually, I think it was another player who had mentioned that. Yeah. It, and had brought up that as idea. And that's what I wanted. Yeah. I really wanted, and I even asked that. I was like, what other players here at the table have affected your player? I think our wrap-up almost was better for me than anything else. Because I was able to listen to you all talk about each other. Mm-hmm. And how you affected each other's characters. And how the story affected that. And then that immediately led to the future feelings of like, okay, where did we, where was the end? Where's the final moments? Mm -hmm. And how does that really feel? And it was beautiful watching you guys all tell stories about each other. Yeah. About what that looked like. And that's all I wanted. I I wanted to have a a wonderful ending like that. Yeah. It was really good. Really good. And I think you should be absolutely proud of of, of everything you put into that game. Mm Mm-hmm. And you have you have a bunch of I don't think anybody walked away from that table disappointed in any way. I will say that I'm not proud of everything I put in that game, but I am I am proud of of what I've accomplished. Sure, okay, but even the bad yeah. stuff was a learning experience. For True, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. So 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 you know, I, I, like I said, at the end of the day, you had you had five players at your table who mm-hmm. were all smiling and happy about how the game ended. Yep, yep. As far as I'm concerned, that's a big win. It was a huge win. So they don't ask you how; they just ask you how many. That's right. That's right. So. All right, we have a show to do. Though. We do, we do. I, I could spend the next hour talking about your game, but we, could. we won't. Yeah. Um. So, uh, tonight's show is a little bit about uh is is about repurposing game systems. Um. Mm-hmm. So this is a bit of a topic that uh it, it's it's a weird one because um usually when you say you're playing like you're playing Blades in the Dark, you expect that you're using the setting that Blades in the Dark was was written for. Um. Or, you know, you're playing 7C, you're playing in the 7C universe, you're playing in Thea, which is, you know, the that, that land or something like that. Um, and, uh, you know, D&D has its own settings and whatnot. Um, if you're going to play something that's, that's homebrewed, it's, it's not terribly common to grab a setting that is tied directly into its... Uh, into its lore, you know, a lot of you've got these a lot of these games like uh, like Seven oh, C is I think is a great example. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and we'll we'll get more into detail on that uh, for those of you who are not familiar with Seven C, um, where the the rules and the story are inextricably linked to each other. Yeah. Um, the rules directly represent things that take place in the fiction. Mm-hmm. And so, if you're not using the Seven C rules to play a adventure in Seven C. Things get a little bit muddy. I would say the same thing about Vampire or Alien, Lord of the Rings. Maybe not the the, the One Ring. I would say after reading it, probably not as much. Now that I think about it, Alien, I wouldn't say nearly as much because you can go whole games without a Xenomorph showing up. Like that's not. That's true. That's true. It's really just stressful stuff in space, which is essentially what Mothership is, but it has a brand name on that's, it. That is very true. That is very true. Um. um but yeah, there's there's a lot of games that uh, that do bind their systems very tightly to their mechanics, and in that it makes it very hard for you to imagine them in other lights, even. Um, so they may not even come to mind. Um, but I th- I think that part of it you is is two different directions. One, we have the sh- like I did. Should I be changing my system? Sure. You know, can I just house rule out mm-hmm. the bad stuff? Um, and I I think the thought there, the initial thought there is, well, of course you can. But at the same time, is that really going to help? Right? Right. Like right. in my specific case, I felt that D&D wasn't heroic. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, I felt that my, my uh, you know, that my players weren't be able to achieve the goal because the only way that I could make it feel intense at the end was to ramp bigger monsters and bigger numbers and layer actions and things like that you had a soul set to fight a dragon i or did basically a dracolich yeah and, and a god you yeah know, like prepared for whatever you guys were going to try and do mm-hmm. and the prep of all of that also comes into play yeah you know they're on my side of the coin not just the fact that it's going to take six hours to get through one combat mm-hmm. and then how do you balance that to make it feel good at the end? Right, right, right. And 
you know, yes, there are ways to to manage that in a different direction because, you know, D&D is about attrition and gritty realism is a way to get around that. You mm-hmm. know, there are some basic rules you're going to be like, yeah, you can't long rest except for in a town in a bed. Yeah. Right. That's you, you need to be able to clean up and take care of yourself. And you can't do that on the side of a river. Sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, but. I think the the biggest thing is that identity crisis of what is really going on. Yeah, yeah. Figuring out what the real problem that you're trying to work around is 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 the, really the big aspect here. And you know, the the, the problem really wasn't that uh, you know you did you disliked D and D combat or that you know things weren't heroic enough. Because I mean, really, I mean D and D really is a heroic fantasy game. It's exceptionally heroic, but. But not in the way that you wanted it to be. No. I think what you meant when you said heroic is something like you wanted it to be narrative and fast-paced. And you wanted it to be focused on, like, action and consequence, mm-hmm. not nearly as much as pass or fail. Right, right. You know? And that's where I, I, I saw that very cleanly in Powered by the Apocalypse rules, but... Like, I didn't want to go to a full narrative system, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's just, and things happen, you know, kind of a thing. I wanted to still feel like there were dice on the table, that there were consequences, that, but they could be bought with stress and pain. Yeah. And Blades really did that. Or Broken Ribs. Yeah. So that it, it had its own, I guess, weight, but that weight could be managed. That's one of the things I liked about 7C, mm-hmm. was drama dice was something I could give over freely, based upon how the narrative was going, how much investment the players were doing. Mm-hmm. You know, if everybody was sitting back, eating chips and rolling dice, waiting for me to tell them what they were doing, and they're like, I swing my great sword, I roll my dice. You know, we're playing yeah, a board game. Exactly. That's, that's, not, that's not the same thing. But in this case, my players actively were talking about what their attacks looked like. And what the attacks were doing, and we were just waiting for the dice to tell us whether or not that's the way it went. Mm -hmm. And then letting it flavor it. And that felt so damn annoying. Yeah. I mean, the the last good fight that I had with you uh, and another player, where it was just the two of you guys finishing up that adventure, felt like a good pacing, but it was two players. And it still took forever. Yeah, it did. I mean, there was a bit of cat and mouse that went on there, but like... The fun parts of that combat were not the dice hitting the table or the spells that were used. They were the descriptions of what yes. was going on. And then there was like some mechanical paperwork we had to take care of to figure out what was going, what was happening. You know, Right. I mean, you guys were seriously concerned about dogs. Yeah. Because mechanically, they could do a lot of damage to you guys. But like, you blended that with the game with mm-hmm. like what your concerns were in the story and how you were going to manage it but it was so painful to watch you guys try and factor numbers and and do tactical while trying to do narrative and i'm like oh god i can't let this happen yeah i can't yeah. let this be the end of the game with five of you at the table yeah you know yeah exactly and still trying to make it feel cool right right so I, I think, like, ultimately, you know, this this is a great example of just kind of like why you need to like. It's difficult to 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 kind of put into words, but what you need to do is you need to kind of think about the problem areas in why the game system that you're you know that, that really should be the the, the key choice mm-hmm. for your for your game mm-hmm. is not the right choice, mm-hmm. right? Um, because I, I mean, the, the easiest, the easiest way to solve this problem of like, what game system do you pair up with? What, you know, with what story is pick the one that was built for it. You know? I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, I like my Elder Scrolls game. I mean, the very first thing I did was reach for D&D fifth edition. Right. Because it's a heroic fantasy game with swords and sorcery. Right. Right. Um, and I mean, it worked. To an extent, like some of the fantasy races were very easy to just port over mm-hmm. um, and things like that. Uh, the spells were all already there. A lot mm-hmm. of the same archetypes exist in the Elder Scrolls universe. It wasn't very difficult for me to do that. But the feel of the game totally was different, different from what I wanted it to be. And that took me a while to to identify. Um, and so if you are considering using a game system that is not specifically written for the purpose of telling the story that you're looking for um 
that's one of the biggest things you need to start identifying. And I, th- I, I dare say that switching is not the right, necessarily the right thing to do, but I would say don't hesitate. If it's, if you feel that it's that way, open the line of communication and start talking about the things that are making the game challenging. Mm-hmm. Like, for your players and for you, whether it's the mechanics, whether it's the length of combat, whether it's your players not feeling that it's crunchy enough. Like, yeah. Sometimes players just want numbers to be able to have a little bit of of control and understanding of what's going on versus just talking things out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that right there... I mean, we we don't talk about that because this is a storyteller conclave, not bags of dice conclave. Right, right, you know? right, right, right. So we we tend to do the thing where we pull mechanics away to expose the narrative mm-hmm. and and kind of push that. And I don't want to I don't want to disclude those people who like dungeon crawls. I don't want to do that. Sure. And, and sure. for people who look at games like uh, Powered by the Apocalypse games and are just like, ah, there's really not enough info there for me. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I'm. I like narrative. I like when my storyteller is talking and, and telling me about the world and I'm in it. But, you know, can I just roll dice and, and discover things? Mm-hmm. Sure. That is 100% legit. No problem whatsoever. And in that sense, there's also nothing to look at your storyteller and be like, yeah, um, I like the world that we built together here in City of Mist, but, like, I'm having a really hard time constantly doing narrative it's too much for me yeah yeah i i'd like to be part of a story could could we maybe make this mystery a little different sure and play it in a different system there's nothing wrong with that the problem that i that, that we often run into and which is the one thing that i really want to focus on here more so is you are starting a game and you don't know what the problems are stepping into it mm-hmm. you don't know what even to look at like the first I remember you when you were talking about doing the Elder Scrolls game, you were almost set on writing your own system. Well, I, I kind of was. Right. Um, I was originally t- I took WR and M by Stargazer Games uh, as my framework because I really wanted it to be light and narrative. And uh, WR and M's rule book is ten pages long, and five of that is some tables mm-hmm. for like weapons and stuff. Um. The whole it's called WR now because it's warrior, rogue, and mage. There's the, the those are literally the three stats you have, right? And you use two d six for everything, um, or one one d six, two d six. I can't remember at this point. I haven't played it in years, but uh, uh, I I was originally using that as a framework, and I was trying to bulk it out just enough that it would be representative of some of the different aspects of of uh the Elder Scrolls universe, right. Without making it crunchy, right. And that's when I discovered 5th edition D&D, because uh, I started watching Critical Role around right, that time. Right, right, right. And um, I went, oh, holy cow, what are they playing? This, this looks great. And then I read D&D 5th edition's rules, and it was it looked like a more refined thing of what my hack of WR&M mm-hmm. was turning into. And I went, oh, you know what? They, they, it's close enough. They've written it all yep. already. And it's a common system. I can get people into this. Yeah. You know? And and that's the thing is, is that you stumbled upon it through a live play. Yeah. And you got to see people playing something that felt similar enough. And that's, that is wonderful. It, however you discover the systems that you're considering, mm-hmm. that's great. It still may not be how you're going to run it. And I, I think, like... When I start thinking about this, like, there's only, there, I guess, three factors that kind of came out in my head space mm-hmm. that, fit, that fit as part of the conversation. And that was, you know, is it easy for your players to get into it? <coughs> How me. approachable is it? That's a great right? way of saying it, yep. Um, is it helpful to the storyteller to craft worlds? How flexible is it? I think that's a great way of saying it. And then, does it fit the feel? How immersive is it? Yep. So if you can look at a system and see how that meshes, how the gears of those two pieces between your story and the the way that those three components fit to it, you can find that system that fits your play style. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really where that, like, people use that term a lot. Like I see, you know, find the right system that fits your play style. That's hard to fathom. It especially is. if you, it is. especially if you, if it's a brand new world or a world you're designing and a feeling that you want to have in that world, there's no play style yet. You haven't played. Yeah. Like your, your brain's not there yet. 
Like, you're still underdeveloped as a storyteller in that sense. Mm -hmm. And so you really don't know. And even if you have run a ton of fantasy and suddenly, like, hey, we're going to do sci-fi, like, sorry, that part of your brain isn't there yet. You oh, know? yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, that that's me. That's me in a nutshell. I yeah. mean, I've been doing this for, what, 25 years we've established? A little yeah. over 25 years? Um you know, I I get I get up here every week in front of a microphone and I tell people how you know good best practices for running their games, mm -hmm. and yet you ask me to run a sci-fi game, man, and I am going to stumble mm -hmm. because I'm just not good at it. I don't I don't envision sci-fi in the broad strokes that it needs to be envisioned in. I don't right. understand the themes of sci-fi enough to conceptualize them yeah. and generate them on my own. What I tend to do is run fantasy in space. I would run a I would run a reasonable Star Wars game. One hundred percent. But I would run a bad hard sci fi game. Okay. That's fair. But again, like saying hard sci fi and then saying what kind of hard sci fi is it? Right? Is mm -hmm. it gritty sci fi? Is it dramatic sci fi? Is it stressful sci fi? Is it horror sci fi? Right. Right. All of those are different forms of sci fi. Mm -hmm. And like is this something where your players are invested in the world or is this something where they are literally just explorers? All of that comes into play when trying to figure out what's going to be the right thing to work out for you. Right, right, right. Uh, Knox in the box actually in the live chat here um, is uh, kind of asking a follow-up question about uh, why my, my Elder Scrolls game didn't work in D&D. &D. Yeah. Um, is asking uh, uh, how Elder Scrolls and D&D &D could be similar but not feel the same. Um, what exactly felt off was his question. Um, so Dungeons and Dragons plays very tactically. Mm -hmm. um, Rob and I had a bit of a discussion about it earlier today, and I kind of described it as like a – it's almost uh, – to me, it feels a little bit like you're playing a, a video game. Um, mm -hmm. Now, again, I don't want to throw – please do not misinterpret this as me throwing shade at anybody who enjoys D&D. I'm just finding the more and more I engage with that game is that, that I, I, I see the cracks in it, at least for my play style. Um, and it does not work for me personally. Um, I feel it's very video gamey in that, like, you, you're just kind of pushing buttons. You know, you've got abilities you can use a certain amount of times. Um, when you push this button, it does X amount of damage. You get to push one action button, one bonus action button, and move your pawn six spaces on the hex grid. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And then, you know, we, we had a, uh, a discussion on the Discord. Um, if you're up there, uh, you probably saw this happen. I was talking, I believe it was to Jonah Fischel, who was, uh, you know, one of our guests uh, yeah. the other day for our uh, reactive and proactive storytelling mm -hmm. discussion. Um, and uh, I said something to the effect of how, how game systems teach you how they want to be played. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jonah made a, made a, made a remark of, uh, about how like, oh yeah, you know, you say that, but my storyteller hasn't once in two separate campaigns run the, uh, the rules for carousing correctly. And I said, right, but that's kind of my point. Where are the rules for carousing? Mm -hmm. How much space in the book are dedicated to the rules for carousing? I bet you it's one paragraph on page 173 of the DM's guide, which isn't even the main book. Right. It's not the player's handbook. Yep. Um, that mentions that it's something that can be done if you roll whatever. Yeah. And that's it. Whereas, I would dare say the entire player's handbook is dedicated to combat. In some way. Because you've got weapon proficiencies and such like that, and, and spells that are listed amongst the races. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got com 90% of the character ability or the class abilities are combat abilities. Mm -hmm. That's as far as I'm concerned, that dedicates the, the chapter to combat. You've got equipment, which is mostly weapons and armor for combat. Mm -hmm. Then you've got, um, spell or you've got feats, mm -hmm. mostly again, combat feats and such yeah. like that. You've got um, the combat section. Guess what that's about? Yeah. And then you've got the spell section, which is 95% combat spells. Yeah. The entire game is about combat. Yeah. And when I say the game teaches you how it wants to be played, that's what it teaches you. It teaches you that combat is the most important thing and, in fact, the only thing you should be doing in that game because 95% of the rules are about adjudicating combat and anything that's in there that's not about combat is either hard to find or, or glossed over or completely un undefined yeah um 
one of the best ones that I, I, I was going over a someone who is arguing or continuing the, the running argument of artisan tools. Mm-hmm. Find the rules on artisan tools. They're oh, yeah. literally every single class in it has a description about what tools you get. There's no page reference there on about how they're used. Yep. Which everything else has. There's no section on it. There's some mild discussion on it in parts of the book, but it's terrible. And like someone, the argument was that someone was like, oh, well, that's just an edge case. And the next thing they said was, how do you craft healing potions? And then the next thing after that was, uh, I'm trying to say, um, the background items. Explain to me where in the section for the storyteller do those come into play? The, the player yep. makes an active choice with their background of what background items are going to take. You can take like a broken uh, pr- a broken dagger or something. And it, I mean, it's clearly a hook mm-hmm. that they're throwing there. And then that's it. And then they, they're it's never just mentioned gone. again. Yeah. It's never brought up that, oh, by the way, the background uh, items that are received, here are some hooks that you could use for those. Sure. Or just even just a slight bit of help. Yeah. And it's, there's no references. Yeah. It's not there. So anything that's not combat related is just literally tossed to the side as like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, it's just some things, some stuff. So, so to the, to the point though, cause I don't want to want to get, I, no, we're bagging hard man, now. I can, I can bag on D and D all, all night. I can um, bag you, on a lot of systems, you, but you know, I could, yeah. um, but the, the, to, to the question of why that did not fit the feel, right. The vibe of my Elder Scrolls yes. game is because, um, my particular playstyle is to focus very much on the interpersonal relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my strongest aspects as a storyteller is um, making very real-feeling NPCs and making very human, very understandable, complex stories about their thoughts, their feelings, their motivations. My my villains oftentimes, even, even the, the really, like black villains that are, you know, or black hat villains, I should say. Not the classic the, trope. The yeah, classic the, trope. The, the classic trope of the black hat mustache twirling villain evil for evil's sake. Like, uh, uh, Yorda was, yes. I mean, Yorda was as bad of a villain as I think I've written in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, even she had some pretty understandable motivations for, you know, why she was doing the absolutely atrocious thing she was doing, yep, yep. you know, and to, to the point where when you guys heard the story, you were like, oh God, I kind of get it. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to side with her. Yeah. You know, I understand her rage at this point until you saw, you know, the, the, what she was doing about it. And then you were like, oh, okay, maybe she is the bad guy, you know? Yeah. But, but that, that's my strength as a storyteller is right. writing those types of stories. And I wanted to allow not only my players, the freedom to, um, roll up their sleeves and get involved with that on a personal level and, and involve those social scenes, involve those investigative scenes, you know, yeah. allow them to forge contacts and, and feel good about who not only the NPCs were as people, but who they were as people. And that was, I think the biggest, the biggest thing for me was I didn't feel like my players were able to feel like they were as lo- as alive as my NPCs were. Yeah. There were, you know, uh, like our big dumb fighter was a big dumb fighter. Yeah. And that that's all he could be yeah. because of how dump stats work, you know. Well, and, and also how... the progression was very few p- choices. Yeah. You this is who you are. Exactly. Right. Uh and and so, you know, I wanted I wanted my players to be able to flush themselves out and really like be a person rather than being a class. Mhm. And I don't feel like D&D was allowing me that latitude mm-hmm. uh, to allow my players to do that because you look at your character sheet for cues of what you can do. The game teaches you how it wants to be played. Yep. And when you look at your character sheet and all you see is a bunch of combat abilities, it tells you the thing you can do. The choices you can make are combat yep. in, uh, related. Yep. And it tells me the same thing as the storyteller. What sort of challenges can I put before my, my, my players? Yep. Well, I could put a social challenge out there, but basically all that is is just everyone rolls persuasion because that's the only tool you've given me to deal with social challenges. Roll persuasion. Yeah. Unless so, I want to make it a combat. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to pull us back a little bit on this. And mm-hmm. then in that sense, like one of the things that obviously comes out of a discussion of like what should I choose is a lot of people are just like, Grab a generic system. Sure. 
GURPS, Palladium. I did. Savage, uh, Savage Worlds. Savage Worlds is a generic system. Yeah. And, and run with that. And we're going to say straight out, that is fine. That's There's fine. There's nothing wrong with doing that. In fact, I will go one step further and say that's probably preferable. Yeah. If you're looking to go outside of the box with the story you're telling in the genre you're telling, you probably do want to grab a, a, a generic system. But even in generic systems. But grabbing a generic system doesn't – yes, grab a generic system – Roll credits. Like, yeah. that's that's the end of that discussion. Yeah, we could we could open up a lot of things mm-hmm. about choices in generic systems, because there's a lot of choice there still. Sure, sure. Um, but let's – what we want to talk about is remixing existing systems. Yes. Systems that don't – well, quote-unquote, don't belong to that theme or design. Sure. Or, or setting even. Do you want to play Aberrant, mm-hmm. but instead of playing it as superheroes, do you want to play it as Looney Tunes? Yeah. Do you want to play 7C, but in space? Do you want to play D&D, but as tiny fairies? Mm-hmm. You know, who are living amongst heroes and, and in a in a small town. Sure. You know, do you want to basically play Zelda, you know, or the Adventures of Link? In the D&D world. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that, but that is definitely not part of the rule set. Mm-hmm. Like, um, at least not on first view or anything like that. So how do you make that work? Right. So the first thing we need to talk about is, are we talking about repurposing a system? Or are we talking about homebrewing or hacking a system? Um, and what is the difference here? Right. Uh, so when we're talking about repurposing a system, we are discussing um, trying to keep the game system... The rules as they are written, the dice that hit the table, mm-hmm. the numbers that are used, the, the things that are on your character sheet, we're trying to keep that system intact. Mm-hmm. Whereas homebrewing or hacking a system usually involves a lot of these house rules, a lot of edits, a lot of side things, maybe aspects pulled in from other games and whatnot. Right. To be clear, we want to differentiate that because we are not talking about homebrewing or hacking. No. We are talking straight up about repurposing a system and trying to keep it as intact to the rulebook as possible while ripping the – changing the setting that mm-hmm. it is applying to. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and so uh, good examples. 7th C has a magic system that is tied – the mechanics are very well tied into it in the sense that um, – it's almost class-like, but realistically, it's the nations. It's the nations. Every yeah. nation's bloodline has a different magic tied to it. So in that sense, you it's it's hard to be one of the others without being blooded in that direction. And it it's bonded with the system. Yeah. You know, the names of things are bonded with what they are. Puerte, or Porte is French. You have, you know, this, this idea that it is part of... The language, the idea mm-hmm. of tearing holes is only something that they do. The 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 Castilian, the Spanish magic is is fuego. Yep. Guess what it does? Exactly. It's fire magic. You know. Yeah. Um. You know. Uh, the uh, the Italians have strega, and the whole idea behind that is that it's very bound within their blood, and that's it's great. That's a wonderful mm-hmm. thing. There's nothing wrong with that. Um. Vampire clans are another one. Yeah. Uh, in Vampire the Masquerade, each clan had their own deep history and bloodline and things that they could uniquely do disciplines that are tied to them yep. etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah um so you're gonna run into like we mentioned aberrant earlier today mm-hmm. you know like a- aberrants uh, uh see i don't know if the, necessarily that the system is is, is is you know hugely tied in but it does come with a lot of history to it a lot um, quite a bit you know, uh, so it's it's things like that that we're talking about. Um, so how do you work around that? When you look at a system, you pick up the 7C book and you're like, oh, wow, there's a whole world that comes tied into these mm-hmm. rules. And it, on the surface, it looks inextricable. It looks like you cannot remove one from the other. Um, but I submit to you there are two ways to do this. Okay. You're either going to rewrite it. Okay. Or you're going to recontextualize it. Allow me to elaborate. So if you rewrite it, what it says on the tin, okay, this is where you're going to you're going to change the rules, either by house rules or you're going to pull from a similar system to swap out those existing rules. And sometimes They're... it's just a matter of like uh, White Wolf does this really well in the sense that it has a a, a, a pantheon of systems underneath it. You mm-hmm. have you know werewolves, you have mage, you have vampire the masquerade. There's nothing to say that you couldn't flip between those uh, to find the right mechanics you would need to fulfill your 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 goal. Sure. Um, and in that you're you're you are slotting, not necessarily hacking. 
mm-hmm. um, or slotting in systems that you need, you know, unique components that you need. You're not homebrewing. You're taking an existing system and slotting components on top eh, of it. It's it's kind of hacking. It is hacking. It's kind of hacking. It is. But uh, because you because you are altering the system, right? You are altering how it works at your table, and you can't. Your one of your players cannot pick up the player's handbook and go, "Okay, this is this is what I'm reading here is what we're doing at our table." You yeah. Know? Um. um so I don't know. If we're going to spend a lot of time, you know, discussing that. But uh, but it is something you can do. Yeah. If if something is just written right into its setting, and you are not using that setting, you can just rewrite it. Um, recontextualizing, on the other hand, is changing the explanation for the rule, but not changing how the mechanics work. Um, and I think this is one of those things where I don't know that I can really tell you a mechanical way to do it. Like I couldn't give you a one, two, three step process. Um, a lot of it's vibes, but what you need to look at in all of your rules is trying to find out what essentially is the story part and what is the mechanical part. Right. Okay. Um, so, for example, Seven Seas Porte Magic. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's recontextualize that. Okay, all right. So, Porte Magic um, in Seven C comes from being Montaigne. It comes from being what part of the, the essentially the the reskinned French. Sure. Uh, in there. Yep. Um, you rip portals in space that scream and bleed. By the yeah, way, they do. They do. Um, don't open your eyes and your uh, when when you're inside of a portal. Or you either die or go mad. Yes. And if your storyteller is feeling especially mean that day, he will tell you what you see. Mm-hmm. Um, but it basically, the, the the player's handbook explicitly says, if they open their eyes in a portal, collect their, their character sheet, they yeah. are done. Yeah. They do not exit the portal. Yeah. Um, and uh, Porte users, after prolonged use, their hands will actually become stained red. But uh, their fingers will become stained red and such like that. All of that is beautiful. But all of that is skin. Exactly. It is nothing mechanical. What really is the rules for Porte? It's a portal. Yep. You you transverse. Yep. That's it. You move a person or an object from one place to another. And as you gain, as you get better in the ability, you can do more. Mm Mm-hmm. In unique ways, but bigger, it effectively bigger objects, more time, more distance. Uh, yeah, uh, multiple portals, but smaller. Yeah, you know, because uh, one of the things you can do is open tiny ones to catch bullets and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and or pull objects, uh, larger objects, out of them that you've had stored there. Sure. You know. Sure. Um, but again, it's it is just a simple mechanic. Mm-hmm. Re- so, realistically, so to recontextualize it mm-hmm. is a pretty simple simple matter. Okay, doesn't have to be Montaigne. Montaigne probably doesn't exist in your new setting. If you're not playing 7C, what nationality you are doesn't at all tie in because Montaigne doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be that way. Portals can be anything different as long as they allow for crossing distances within their specific uses. Mm-hmm. Okay? Is there any reason why Porte magic mm-hmm. cannot be, in a sci-fi setting, a uh, a small range like portal gun sort of you know mm-hmm. thing that i've that i've used alien you know? tech alien alien tech to open to open translocation portals mm-hmm. no doesn't no. have to be um and honestly everything about the horror aspects of it can be changed ignored whatsoever well i mean automatically my brain starts shifting to other things that i could do with that really easily yeah there's nothing to say that it couldn't have just been a, a, a the only thing that this alien the, only this alien race can do it mm-hmm. it's their special ability or only these types of robots can do it. That's their special ability because they figured it out. Sure, if you want to keep its exclusivity, sure, absolutely. And if you want to do that. Secondarily, on top of that, you can still keep the chaos of going through a portal. Warhammer did it really well. Yeah, <laughs> the warp. The warp is, I mean, and that's a common theme. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's to say that it is a specific thing. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with carrying that. But again, that's not a carried mechanic that's mechanical that's mm-hmm. storycraft yeah that's doing all of yeah. that for you uh so so honestly looking looking at every single one of these rules and and just kind of looking like you and i had a really great discussion um about this uh not long ago because you were looking at using a forged in the dark rule set specifically written for pirates mm-hmm. uh for your next 7c game yep 
And I remember you kind of sighing and going like, ah, oh, yeah, I mean, I might do this, but it's going to take so much rewriting for me to make it 7C. And I went, like what? And you said, well, first off, like, all the nationalities are different. And I went, okay, so that's names. Mm-hmm. Names of places. Cool. That has no mechanical bearing on it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Next, mm-hmm. what's up? And you're like, well, the magic. And I'm like, so? Does there anything say you have to use the magic out of the 7th C first edition player's handbook? Nope. Nope. Does it provide you with magic? Yes. Is it ocean-based magic in in the the the, the Forged in the Dark setting? Yes. Is it cool? Yeah. Yeah. Is it something that pirates in a magic-based seafaring 7th C setting would want to use? Yeah. Okay. Leave it. Yeah. The other part Leave of it, it, you can call it whatever you want. Well, even to 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 go to a degree, if I had players who were very still interested in playing specific nationalities and their abilities, mm-hmm. like someone's like, "Hey, I really want to do this." There is nothing to say that I can't just take down the level of mechanical aspects that there are in 7C. Yeah. I mean, literally it's a narrative game. I don't need that many mechanics to say you opened a portal. You don't. You roll some dice. It tells you that you did the magical thing you were doing. It's an ability. That's it. That's simple. Reskinning is fast. And that's, I think, the beauty of going from a very mechanical heavy system, something where something like D&D or something where it's like, oh, I have all of these rules for how I can cast fire. Whether it's shooting out of my hand, or bolts shooting out of my hand, or a giant fireball flying through the air, or a wall of fire that I'm doing, all of that has different rules and different dice and all of these things. But at the end of the day, did you cast the magic? Yeah. Did you do it well? No. Okay, so there's a consequence. Sure. Done. That's simple. It's over. Like, the system dictates, the new system that I'd be using, which in this case is Forge of the Dark dictates that I don't need mechanic-heavy stuff. And that's a blessing. Mm-hmm. So on the side note of this is that if you are looking to recharacterize your uh, your setting into a new rule system because you want things to be a little different, there is a strong sense that if the story is important and your players like story, don't go to something more mechanical. Yeah. Go to something less. Yeah. Because you will find it easier to recontextualize things into it. And that's that's actually a great segue into our next point here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is, does this need to be a rule? Yeah. I mean, th- that is a solid question to ask. Yeah. You, if you can get away from stacked layered rules, your players will move into a, a more creative narrative sense. Well, every rule is something your players need to know. Yeah. It's something your players need to keep track of. And especially if you are homebrewing these things and adding them into your setting, then these are things that are technically unaccounted for. Mm-hmm. Okay? No player at your table is going to sit down and pick up the player. Well, God, it would be a blessing nowadays if somebody picked up a, picked up the, 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 the <laughs> damn player's guide and actually read it for a game they were in. But I digress. Um but, like, even if they do, mm-hmm. they're not going to find your homebrew rules in there, right? So there's no reference for them. It's something that either you have to have published in, like, a Google Doc that they have access to that they'll need to remember how to find. Yeah. Or you need to have it posted and pinned in a Discord somewhere or something like that, you know? Those rules were established. They're on the basement wall of City Hall. You should have seen them six months ago. Yeah, ex- exactly. And now we're plowing your game for a hyperspace bypass. Thank you. Thank um, you for finding my reference and accepting it. No, hey, 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 buddy, buddy, I know where my towel is. Come on. Um, so, uh, it, the less you have the, to yeah, do, the, the less you have to, the less you have to do, the less you have to keep track of, the less you have to come up with, the less your players have to contend with, and the more you can just get to playing the damn game yeah. and telling the story. Yeah. Um. I I actually had a I had a really great um discussion with Sean this weekend, uh, where he's yeah. putting together some stuff in his uh in his Nova Praxis game. And we so my character is a sim, essentially. My character it lives lives in virtual reality, essentially. Um all of us have digitized our souls except for one character. Um but those those digitized souls are all riding in 
biological sleeves, essentially. So that you're all you all look and act human, mm-hmm. with the exception of my character who just doesn't have a body. Mm-hmm. I just live in a computer. Um and uh I'm a bit of a bit of a depressed, weird shut in sure. character. Uh and so uh there's a place in the setting called Crossroads, mm-hmm. which is basically virtual reality world of Warcraft. Mm-hmm. Um MySpace, World of Warcraft slash things. But being that yeah. this is this is the future and virtual realities and digitized souls are a thing, um, it's essentially a LARP mm-hmm. with like computerized rules that make things real. Yeah, a real enough essentially to play with them and engage with them. You know, right. so that you can play the game. Um, and I just thought, you know, for a depressed shut-in, like, that would probably be the one outlet my character would have. One connection to, quote-unquote, reality. I mean, my character's like, a lot a lot of depressed shut-in people, and I may be speaking a little bit from experience in some past parts of my life and maybe Dude, some current ones. but anyways. two years where we all were depressed shut-ins, so just accept. True. <laughs> um, you know, would, would engage with people through, through a video game because at least that person doesn't have to be real there. They can be an idealized version of themselves, sure. you know? Yeah. I, so I latched onto this idea, and I'm like, that's going to be cool. And Sean thought it was really great, too, because he's excited that that um, uh, the, the Crossroads exists in the setting. He thought it was a really cool idea as well, and he liked that my character was engaging with it. And he says, he's like, yeah, at some point I want to like actually put all of your characters into Crossroads and just see how you react sure. to it. Um, just as just a fun little aside. And then he starts musing. He's like, I don't know what rules I want to use for it, though. Mm-hmm. If I want to use the Savage Worlds rules or if I want to have, like, alternate character sheets for what your characters are in Crossroads, or if I even want to go that far, if I want to just use something light and fast, like WR and M, since it's a fantasy setting and stuff like that. And I kind of went, don't. Don't. Don't make rules for it. You don't need rules for it. And he's like, well, I want to. And I'm like, Sean. Are there going to be any consequential tests that are that will determine the shape of the narrative in, in a meaningful way that will happen in Crossroads enough that you need to make alternate character sheets or use an alternate system for that a shooting or fighting or persuasion role or whatever from our Savage World sheets will not suffice for? And he went, oh, well, no, I guess not. And I'm like, that's your answer. Yeah. Does this need to be a rule? No. Yeah. You don't need to change it. It doesn't need to be homebrewed. And I think it's this... a unique thing. Sure. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. I've, I th- ne- I've never run across virtual reality LARPing before. I think it's great. I think it's a great idea. It's a game within a game within a game. You know? So meta. So meta. But uh, the other part of it is is much like what uh, I had to do, which was I looked at the Blades in the Dark system and saw a bunch of systems like factions is a big part of the system and and how the the clocks and stuff work for those. And I literally just said, chop. I don't need that. I looked at it. I was like, oh, I'm going to have to make a map of where things are at and how much how you guys have leveraged things and whether those factions have weight. And I was like, no, stop, Rob. Don't. We don't need to do this. We don't need to include those rules. Yep. And I just chopped it away. Yep. They're cool. Don't get me wrong. Oh, they're very cool. But for one session, and I think that's the other aspect of this is... What's the scope is, of your game? What's the scope? I mean, if your game is literally going to run at Gen Con for four hours... You don't need a map of the city and need to know what every faction no. is doing. No, you, you need props, maybe, to help people feel invested in, in the game immediately, but that is all flavor. Yeah. Get them playing as quickly as humanly possible. Tell your story. Enjoy it. The oh, moment. Only write what's on the other side of the mountains if your players are crossing the mountain. Right. And, and, and if they're not even going to get close to it, stop it. Yep. All good video game designers already taught you don't put graphics on the back side of the object. It's called back face calling. You That's can right. look it up. Yep. That's right. That's a thing that is true. Mm-hmm. So realistically, when you're thinking about doing this, remember the reskinning aspect is something that's important to look at the system you're going into, but don't go beyond that mm-hmm. unless you absolutely need to feel free to chop things away or just set them to the side yeah. until they're needed mm-hmm. and then go, okay, I do have some rules for that. Mm-hmm. And like we always say, make a house rule at the moment and just say to everybody, this is the moment that we're using this. I'm going to look this up between sessions. Yeah. And you can always say, I did that wrong. You could do that in any systems mm-hmm. and say like, this is what we're going to be doing. But be consistent. That's it. Yeah. And keep to the theme. Keep keep to your play style. 
That's that's the big thing. And the play style is everyone at the table. You, the you in this is the table. Because mm-hmm. it could change. You know, two months into a game, you know, that you guys have been playing every week and your players might be like super narrative and you've got this super crunchy system because you thought it was cool and so did they. But now they're like, this is taking too long. Can we Can we kind of like, you know, trim this a little bit? Mm-hmm. Sure. Change the system. Who cares? Yeah. Give them new character sheets. Go to town. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Be flexible and your games will get better. Yeah. Yeah. That That's my big point behind this. My uh my my last my last parting piece of advice here mm-hmm. is uh kind of kind of still along the rules of like does this need to be a rule sort yeah. of thing yeah 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 um is uh sometimes when you're you're trying to adapt an existing IP um Sean and I have had a little bit of experience with this because I adapted over Elder Scrolls he's been attempting kind of on the side for a while now to adapt over Wheel of Time so we've actually had a lot of long discussions about uh. Because he he really likes the sword mastery and he likes channeling, which is a very unique sort of uh, magic system uh, to the Wheel of Time. Okay. Um. And so and then of course, like I said, I I, I converted over Elder Scrolls to mm-hmm. to a gaming system. Um. That was you know the, and that's converting from not a not a book but a uh, a, a video game. Mm-hmm. So we've both kind of run into the same sort of hurdles here, and the common trap is. Trying to make rules to duplicate how it worked in the source material. Yes. Okay. And oftentimes those rules are com- unnecessarily complex. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so I want to just uh, don't fall into these traps here. Like Consider that you are trying to come up with a unique set of rules to describe what is either a video game mechanic designed to keep you playing and engaged or... A book or movie scene that the author or director probably didn't give much more thought to than wouldn't it be cool if. Yeah. Okay. And here you are trying to come up with a complex math to describe how exactly that thing happened. 99% of the time, yep. your existing rules are enough to describe what you're doing without going into whole new mechanics. Use what is already there. I agree. I agree. There's been a number of times when I've seen people go in and gone into ridiculous discussions about transfer or uh, uh, transposing book to game. Yeah. Or, or, and we see it all the time in movies, like even the D and D movie, they were trying to make scenes work out to the mechanics of the game. Mm -hmm. And they were upset in some cases because it was, this shouldn't be happening that way. It's not even the same media, people. Right, and heck, vice versa too. You know, the the the, the old uproar of like oh, the druid wild shaped into a or into an owl bear. Oh my god, that's not actually on the approved wild shape. Like, calm down, people. Yeah, it's a movie. Somebody went, wouldn't it be cool if? And somebody else said, yeah, it would. And they put it in the movie. And guess what? It was cool. Flat out, they were not playing D and D. Owl bears are amazing. They were not playing D and D. That mm-hmm. movie was not D and D. That movie was. A heroic narrative story. Haven't seen it. Can't yeah. tell you. That that's the truth. Mm-hmm. Like it's a movie. That's the point. If it was just them doing tons and tons of combat, and maybe D and D. Like Doom, the movie probably was closer to yeah. physical combat. And like like I talked about this a little bit um, in uh, when I did my whole system breakdown episode, mm-hmm. uh, where I talked just nothing about my nothing but 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 just about my game. Um, so if you listen to this, I'm sorry, I'm repeating myself here, but I. Uh, uh, like I originally, there was actually an Elder Scrolls hack of Savage Worlds. Yeah, it's out there, and I looked it over, and I was like, "Oh, I can't use any of this." And it was mostly because they had fallen into that trap. In in Elder Scrolls, like your destruction magic, mm-hmm. your transmutation magic, your conjuration—they're all separate skills, mm-hmm. and that's what this person had done. They had made different skills for every single school of Magicka. And you had to have different skill levels for all of them to cast any of your spells. And it was like, wow. Savage Worlds just literally gives you the most most flexible magic system I've ever seen. Just hands it to you and just mm-hmm. says, guys, it's an arcane background. You just flavor these generic feeling powers however you want. Here's some rules for flavoring them. And here's rules for a storyteller for adjudicating those flavors in fun and interesting ways. Yep go to town and they went no we need to make it like a video game we need to make it structured and i mm-hmm. went nope can't do it yep 
Yep. Can't do it. Too far. Not, Too far. Not in my damn game. So. So I want to hit Nevim's questions. Yeah. All right. So we can so we can get this a little wrapped up. Uh, Nevim had three questions for us this time. Thank you very much, Nevim. Uh, should we avoid repurposing some game systems? Um. I don't. I mean, I. I don't think so. I, I can't think of a good reason why not to. I mean, I'm sure there are game systems that won't work for whatever you want to do. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't. Like, I, it really comes down to, is it functional? Is it flexible enough? Is it accessible enough? And is it, it immersive does it, enough? Yeah. Does it, is it immersive enough? Does it fit your play style with your players? Hmm. Fit your, uh, what's the word? Idiom, sir? Yes, idiom, yes. yes. <laughs> My particular idiom. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, like, there's, I don't think there's a thing that wouldn't, that you couldn't do that with. I mean... People will argue, don't go and get a super crunchy game if you want to do narrative. But that's just a choice, right? Mm-hmm. You could still do it. There's nothing to say that you couldn't run D&D in Palladium. It's been done. Yeah. It's, there's a fantasy. That's where it started was fantasy, mm-hmm. right? So the whole point of it is is that, yes, you could technically run whatever in whatever. There's, it's just a matter of making the right choice for you and your table. Sure. So Absolutely. Um, I think my, my, I mean, my answer is, like, life is short. Yeah. We're all going to die, so might as well just use it. Yep. Like, go go use whatever game system. Did, nothing matters. Yep. Everything's yep. made up. Go Everything's do it. made up. Go do it. <laughs> um, what should be taken in account when repurposing a game system? We just um, did a show on it. You should go back and listen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I would rewind the episode to the beginning. Uh, maybe, I wouldn't maybe, maybe skip the first 10 minutes. I would say you need to rewind about tw- 25 minutes. 25 minutes. 25 minutes, you should be good. So You'll, you'll get yep. the husk of it, yeah. Yep, yep. Um, and repurposing a game system, should we take all the systems or only part of it? That's really a, that's, that, that is entirely a vibes question. Um, I, I can't tell you what to take of the system because I don't know what story you're trying to tell with it. I agree with that statement. My caveat addition to it is this, um, when repurposing a game system, always start with the core, get that taught and understood. Then, as needed, add the rest of the components. Mm-hmm. Don't just assume you have to do the whole thing. Because the moment that you, as a storyteller, invest yourself into learning and developing the whole thing, like, in my case, Blades in the Dark. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't need the faction system. I didn't. It was yeah. not part of my story. Sure. You know, so I just didn't learn that. In fact, I didn't even look at any of the other player cards and and action abilities of anything that I wasn't using. Just the whole cloth, throw them right out the door. Good. Didn't care about death even in my game mm-hmm. because that wasn't how I was going to deal with it anyways. Right, right, right. So that went out the door. So like literally like a bonsai tree, I clipped it until it fits mm-hmm. what I was needing to use for. But it doesn't mean that I threw those pieces away. I set them to the side and just said we're not using those until we need them. Yeah. that That's the way I would look at it. Now, the, the, only, the only caveat I'm going to throw on here is um, – if you're trying to repurpose a system, be conscious on a high level of how much work you're doing to repurpose it, okay? Mm-hmm. If you are like, I'm going to repurpose 7C or whatever. Sure. And, uh, you know, five weeks later, you have this duct tape hacked <laughs> Frankenstein's monstrosity of a 15-page Google Doc of house rules and edits and stuff like that that you've made to it. Maybe you should look for a different system that fits a little bit better so that you don't need to perform ma- major surgery, graft on other systems, rewrite whole sections of the book and stuff like that. Like, I, I, I understand that the the impulse to make something your own um, and try to tell a unique story with things, but uh, I, at, at a certain point, I would get online, I would go to, like, r slash RPG, and I would just ask, like, guys, is there a system that does this? Because chances are there is already a game system or two or three that does the thing that you're trying to do, and maybe the five weeks' worth of work of Frankenstein's monstering the system into a workable solution for you is just work you didn't have to do. I agree with all of that. And my facial expressions that you were clearly seeing was yes. a brilliant little light bulb that went off in my head. There was a movie uh-huh. called The Pentagon Wars okay. about the building, about the design, uh, implementation, committees, and the final product of the Bradley fighting machine. Okay. It is a debacle. 
from beginning to end because there was a very specific purpose for the Bradley at the beginning. And by the end, they wanted it to be able to do anything. And it clearly could not. Well, yeah. But that whole journey is a lot of what we're talking about. It's that idea that you have at the beginning of like, what is this going to be? It's going to be light. It's going to be easy. It's going to get us in and out of things. You know, it'll be the most greatest thing ever. And then somewhere along the lines, you're like, what if we put a tank cannon on it? Uh, what it, if it could deflect other tank rounds? It, well, yeah. Well, was, sir, it wouldn't be light or fast anymore. Exactly. And that's the kind of crap that right. happens in this. What if we could make it deflect tank rounds and be light and fast, sir? I'm not certain those things make it happen. It's like, let's try that. And, and, and like, that was the whole yeah. thing is that your brain goes through those exercises as you look at a system and suddenly you've got that duct taped monstrosity. That cost you hundreds of hours to try and get through. And don't do that to yourself. Always recheck where you're at. Mm -hmm. Always recheck where you're at. Because inevitably, the committee in your brain will will make mistakes. It's going to happen. So, um... Do you have anything else you want to add? I think I am spent on this topic. I think I'm good, too. All right. So next week's topic uh, is going to be the first Wednesday of the month uh, of May. Yeah. So we're getting into our storytelling 202 uh, as we do the first Wednesday of the month uh, for this year. We're going to be talking about multifaceted encounters. Um, so what we mean by that is like, uh, when we're talking about, uh, encounter design, we often break them into simple, it's sort of simplest archetypes. Like they're, they're combat encounters or they're social encounters or they're chase encounters, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, but do our encounters necessarily need to be one of those categories? And you do a really good job of this already. And we've kind of discussed it when we mm-hmm. did our encounters episode where you'll have some people going and do a social thing and you'll have some people going and doing another thing. This is kind of like the worst of those situations as well put together. Like the boat is being attacked. So someone better be fixing it while we're fighting while we're sailing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what do those sort of hybrid encounters look like when you're kind of mashing like combat with puzzle solving Mm -hmm. or, you know, uh, uh, search and discovery with a social encounter, you know, or like the end of the mummy, you've got a bunch of different players and you want them all to feel part of it. Exactly. What can you do to make that feel good? Mm -hmm. So, so we'll be, uh, we'll be discussing that a little bit more in depth. But in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave, on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. Uh, listen to us live every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern time on MixLR.com slash Storyteller dash Conclave. And uh, join us up on our Discord. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, join, uh, Talk to the other great storytellers that are up there. Bounce some campaign ideas off them. Shoot us some questions. We'll Please answer do. them here on the air. You can find that link on our Twitter as well as our, story, or our website, StorytellerConclave.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon members who support us every month, especially our name members, Knox in the Box, Sedjet, San, Sam, The Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion Veteran, Hulavu, and Sean. We really appreciate all your support. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcane anthems uh, or on Instagram. Uh, our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrog.pancamp.com. And our outro music, which you're hearing right now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find them at freemusicarchive.org. And big shout-out, as always, to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much thank for loving and supporting us. All of our friends who've sat at our tables have given us these great stories to share with you over the years. Yes. And you, every single one of our listeners, we love you guys so much. Love you. Good night. Good night.